All right, Dave, we're fixing to turn it over to you. I want to introduce you, David Fraze. I know a lot of us know David because uh, uh, he's been around for a while. He's spoken for us a few times. He led Tribe Retreat uh, five years ago or so. A lot of you are LCU people, and so you know you know uh, David, David from LCU. Uh, but I want to give you, if you don't know him, I want to give you a picture of him. And if you do know him, you might not, might, might not know some of these things. Dave sent me like a 10-page bio. It's, it's not that long, but there's some great things. He is uh, Dr. David Fraze. He is a demon from Fuller Theological Cemetery. He's assistant professor. <laughs> Freudian slip, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> oh, seminary. Uh, he's <laughs> he's the Assistant Professor and Endowed Chair of Youth and Family Ministry Program. That's the longest title in the world. Uh, David has been in student ministry and worked with students and families for over 35 years. You might know he, he worked in Lubbock as a youth minister for a while. He worked in uh, at the Hills, at Richmond Hills for a while. He speaks all over the place uh, for youth events and public private school events, ministry training, seminars. He writes. Uh, he's contributed articles for popular publications. He has books. Go to Amazon, buy his books, right? Buy his books. He's contributed a chapter to a, a book called Owning Faith. He's currently working on a book to be released this year, Practical Wisdom for Athletic Families, How to Survive and Thrive in Competitive Athletics. And I'm going to write How to Survive and Thrive in Fine Arts. How's that? So we'll, we'll just part, partner those. Uh he speaks and partners with Fuller Institute, uh, speaking on the topics of sticky faith, which we have heard many times before growing young, and right-click, which is all about technology in our day. He is a coach with the Dallas Cowboys Football Youth Academy and a resource for various Dallas Cowboys youth coach education programs, so you can blame him uh, if you want to. Uh, he he writes and is on camera for KCBD Channel 11 uh, on the, the Good Stuff News segment, which is great. And he serves... Careful. He serves as a character coach for Friendship High School football program. Thank you for not booing. Uh, he's been married to Lisa for 32 years, has two children and a grandchild now, right? And a grandchild. Yeah, that's awesome. Dave, thanks for being here with Thank us. You. We'll be here this week and next week. Let me pray for you and try not to say any wrong words again. All right. Father, thank you for David. Thank you for his friendship. Thank you for his journey with you. Thank you for his influence on the kingdom. Thank you for his influence on students and parents. Uh, thank you for his partnership with this church in the past. And I just pray that you pour through him the, the spirit of teaching and that his words are from you, Father, and, Father, that you guide us in the way. It's through Jesus we pray. Amen. And thank you. So, um, hi, Brian. Where's the camera? I want to say hi to Brian. Is it right there? I, he's, he's been texting me. I think he's alive. And uh, happy hip replacement. Hope you're doing well. That's awesome. Okay, so did you hear Becca's prayer? I've known Becca since I, uh, she kept hitting me when you were talking about old things, Doyle, because uh, I've known her for a long time. And her prayer is exactly what Brian and I have been trying to get across. It's not just out there. And you got a great card that reminds you to pray for the nations. It reminds you to pray for what's going on programmatically through this church. But all of us are called to be messengers of Jesus. Amen? That's when you respond. Amen. 
So every one of us have that responsibility. Jesus said of us, not just only as a church community, but as a people that our lives are to be light and salt. And do you realize that he was drawing back from the heart of God the very earliest ideal of the people of Israel? It's not just in the light of mine. He was not the original author of those lyrics. He's drawn from Isaiah where God said there will be a time that all the nations will look at this hill, if you will, and this light. It'll be a hope to the nations. Some of you learned in vacation Bible school the promises of Abraham. You're going to have a son. You're going to have, that son's going to become a great nation, and that great nation is going to be my nation. I'll be your God. You'll be my people. But we don't often teach the fourth part of the promise. All nations of the earth will be blessed because of us. I want you to hear that again. All nations of the earth will be blessed because of us. And I loved Becca's prayer. I didn't pray to say, plan to say this. I took out a golf pencil that you have right in front of me. You wrote Becca's prayer. Because may we be the individuals that see the need around us and know that we are capable to share Jesus. So I want you to think of three words today. Sometimes, often, and always. And this should be sort of a review from you. I spent a lot of time listening to every one of these messages. And Brian, I'm upset because I was going to start with Acts 17. So you're welcome. But these three words come to mind when I think about my 35 years of trying to share Jesus in the North American world, and I would say also European, Africa. These things are true, but especially in our context, sometimes, often, and always. But let me start with this picture. Look at this picture. If you grew up in the 80s and early 90s, there were 3D images, and we'd go to the mall, and we'd look at them. And we just stare at him until whatever image was drawn out of that 3D. So this is one of those 3D images. And if you've never dealt with this, I I need you to kind of look at it right in the middle. Maybe let your eyes cross a little bit. How many of y'all remember how to do this? There's my 80s children. So right there, just kind of look at it. And I want you to study it and see what image pops out of there. Okay, just look at it. Now, does anybody see anything? Raise your hand. We're going to put you on the, uh, the, the uh, recording of today. What, what do you see? What begins to emerge? Maybe some of you with young eyes. What? You're whispering. Say it out loud. What do you see? A what? Blocks. How many of y'all see the blocks? They're beginning to form. Do you, what are they being formed into? A what? A chair? Good, I thought you said hair. Okay, so look at it. How many of y'all see the chair? Raise your hand when you see the chair. Raise your hand high so I can see the chair. All right, here's the deal. Everybody look at me. This is not a 3D image. I lied. Um, this, This is nothing. This is so much fun. I've done this with audience of hundreds, and I'm like going, do you see this? And usually, I'm kind of glad you said chair, because somebody usually gets spiritual. I see the dove of the Holy Spirit. And I'm like going, oh, really? And I just play on that, and they're like, yes, I see the dove. Or I see the open tomb, and there's this rolling stone, and Jesus is standing. Oh, yeah. And everybody's like, yes, I see Jesus. Guess what? That's nothing. That was one minute of my sermon time, manipulating just a little bit. 
to try to get you to believe or at least try to see something that's not there. Sometimes, look at this, sometimes, the first thing, put that up there so we can see it. We have the wrong idea as to what evangelism, big fancy word for outreach, means today. We have this idea, the way that I started, and this is great. I don't want to just, please understand, I'm 55, I'm a grandfather, I got gray hair, I'm getting ready to go meet Jesus. So there's a credibility I can say something. We were raised with a transactional method of convincing people that they were lost. And a transactional method to say, here's what you need to do not to be lost. Let me say this to everyone listening, if you're a visitor, there is a heaven, there is a hell, and when you read the Gospels, the truth of the reality is, it's very hard to go to hell because of the work of Jesus Christ, amen? So everybody take a deep breath. (sighs) That's good. But my job back in the day was to convince you that wherever step you were towards Jesus wasn't enough, and if you didn't believe the way that I believed, you would spend an eternity in hell being part of the devil's grill. So here's how it would work. Imagine me as a 14-year-old pudgy kid. Went on my first mission trip. I knocked doors. Anybody ever knock doors? Yeah, I was good at it. Hello. I'm here working with the Basalt Church of Christ. That's where we went in Colorado. Can I ask you a question? And here I was. I, I, we had to wear slacks. Remember that? Big fancy word for dress pants. Couldn't wear jeans. You couldn't wear shorts. You didn't have to wear a tie because we're Church of Christ. But you had to wear a nice shirt. And it, thank you. And so um, <laughs> you would ask these people, you'd say, hey, um, can I ask you a question? And I was a nice kid. And we even learned how to stand on the porch. I would stand on the porch next to the door. And the person that was with me would either stand right beside, so would not make people nervous, or would step behind way away like going, I don't have anything to sell. Does anybody remember this? It was great. And it actually worked some. But here's the part that disturbed me that got dogs sicked on me quite often. This old 14-year-old would look at this lady and say, if you were to die today, don't laugh, this is a good one, would you go to heaven or hell? And she'd look at me like, who are you at first? And they, if, if they wanted to kind of, kind of dismiss this, they'd say, no, thank you, I, I have my own church. This is when it got really good. Oh, what church is that? And they would give some denominational name, but I'm Church Christ. And Romans 16, 16 says, the churches of Christ salute you. So we got our name in the Bible. I don't see Methodist. I ain't see no Presbyterian. I see no Baptist, except John, you know. So I would say, no, 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 no. Are you sure? And I would make them question where they were on their faith journey saying, Romans 16, 16, Church Christ salutes you. As the door's closing, I'm like going, today if you hear the voice of the Lord, don't repent. I'm just yelling. I didn't have very much success. <laughs> then I started reading my Bible and realized the gospel is an acceptance. The only faith where we accept and we really have nothing to give. Amen. Every other faith, you got to walk up these steps of kind of understanding of God, right? But Jesus, Emmanuel, came down, and he is the transaction. Woo! We're preaching now. He is that transaction. So what it does for us, yes, we have to make the choice. 
And it's, it's considered like a covenant of marriage. I do. But I've been married 34 years, going on 34 years. Where's my plus 30 people? Do you ever look back at how in the world are you still married? Because you remember the kind of husband or wife you were when you first got married? Amen. I don't know what that means. But that's, <laughs> say amen really fast. Amen. Okay. He said it too. So, I mean, we both are like going, oh, my word. There's, I said I do, and there are times, young people got to hear this, there's sometimes we don't like each other. Don't say amen again. Don't, don't. <laughs> but the love is a choice, is it not? Same way it is walking with Christ. That's why you have covenant of marriage and covenant of marriage, Old and New Testament. That's such a metaphor. So I, I step into it. But now, 30-something years later, I realize I'm a better husband now than I was when I first said I do. Maybe it took some kicks in the head, but I know some stuff now. I've been transformed, amen? So any behavioral change in my life is not because of my own works. It's because something happened when the Holy Spirit entered into partnership with my covenant and began to change me. And any fruit that you see growing in my life is because of the work of the Holy Spirit in my life, amen? So it's more transformational than transactional. Sometimes we get that wrong. The next thing we do is sometimes we get wrong with the idea of the inside out versus outside in. This is difficult for us. I'm not a second or third generation Christian. My mom and dad came to faith because a preacher wrote their name down because my oldest sister went to a VBS because my parents would use vacation Bible school as babysitting like some of you may have done. And they would sit on the front porch and drink beer and smoke cigarettes. And my sister went to the Church of Christ that met in a garage in Louisville, Texas that was having a VBS in our neighborhood and said, hey, uh, five years old, I think my mom and dad are going to hell. Why? Because they drink beer and smoke cigarettes. And he wrote their name down. And he goes to the church, he goes to the front porch and says, are you Henry Atlanta phrase? Yep. Your daughter thinks you're going to go to hell. And they started laughing together. It was the greatest move by a preacher. And he said, hey, we'd love to have you. And things began to change in their life. And I'm standing in front of you because a preacher responded to a little five-year-old and invited my mom and dad to take seriously their faith. But there's some of us, when you look about inside out, we get really fired up about those cards going, yes, we are, we have it together. We have that. So now let's go out to the world. But here's the reality. We also got to learn how to do outside in. And that's messy. And that's gross. I want you to look at this picture. Sometimes we do that. This one's pretty impressive, I think. From 33 degrees to 32 degrees, one degree difference, we have ice. And from 211 plus 1 to 212, you have boiling water. When I've researched Churches of Christ, we had the gospel message. We realize, I believe, that it's about transformation, not transactional. We understand that it is a person and not a program that we're calling people to. The good news is what God's done in Christ, not that you're able to come join our club. This is depressing if this is all we got. I love our relationships. Everywhere across the auditorium, there's a lot of us that are holding nuclear briefcases that if you knew where we started in Christ, every one of them would be fired. Okay, we all have those people. But we're like family. I love the church. Do you? 
That's a great thing I want the whole world to be a part of. You cannot go anywhere. All you young people, you cannot go anywhere without finding someone who knows you or your family or somebody because of the body of Christ. Amen? That's awesome. But that's not the hope of the world. Because our message for people who are from the outside in, they're like going, I don't want to be a part of you. But when we start making Jesus look good, okay, I'll talk to you. Look at this verse. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Often, we become what we measure. We become what we measure. Is it converts or is it disciples? This is important. I'm part of a thing called 10 by 10, which is this international push for discipleship of young people. And one of the first conversations we had, and this was people of all kinds of different names on the doors, one of the most amazing Nicene Creed type moments I've ever been a part of. And this is a conversation that came up because in a transactional view, often what we say is go into all the world and baptize. But what's the first word, church? Disciples. Before Jesus ever asked his apostles, who do you believe that I am? He said something very simple but dangerous. Follow me. Follow me. When I was growing up, I was a late bloomer. I didn't get baptized in fifth grade, which they thought my mom and dad were going crazy because everybody got baptized in fifth grade. I was a late bloomer. And part of it is I didn't realize, I needed to realize the messiness of discipleship because I knew, okay, why are you making me make this decision? If I don't make this decision, I can't take communion. I can't wait on the Lord's table. There's something wrong. And it's like this push for conversion, but I did not fully know Jesus. And that's why Jesus said, go into all the world and make disciples. So if you're here today, if you're listening, you're like going, I just want to put my toe in the water. I don't understand your Jesus people. Welcome to discipleship. And we're going to give you opportunities to marry the Lamb of God. We're going to ask you to join him as a follower and surrender yourself and become converted to this new way. But we're just glad that you're just tipping your toe in the water and saying, I want to find out. I want to follow this guy for a while. Three years, they followed Jesus, and then he gave them that great call. Who do people say that I am? Often, we become what we measure, and they know. And I'm going to put in the in context, they know that we're counting. One of the problems with American churches is we'll say things like this. Hey, guys, I know all of you have someone who wants to visit, and who's your one? I want you to start praying for who's your one. I want, to, I want you to bring them to church. Bring your church. If I'm saying that here, and somebody invited you to church today, you're, you're whispering, or you're going to talk about it during lunch, uh, am I your one? They know we're counting, folks. They know. So sometimes at LCU, I invite, well, often at LCU, I invite them to be cynical just a bit. Because discipleship is messy. 
And even our kids who grew up in church start to turn away. A million supposedly will turn from the faith every single year because they see what we offer in Jesus and they don't want it. And often it's because we're measuring the wrong things. We're measuring the size. Well, how many converts have you had? How many, and this is every faith tribe in the United States. How many people have you brought to Christ? How many, how big's your budget? How many people are in your pews? Do you realize we're all doing the same thing? Put your, I'm not churched and I'm trying to find Jesus glasses on and drive from Lubbock to Amarillo and see all of the church signs, all of them that say Jesus is the answer, but they have this one little thing on it, and you're like, come here. We have this ministry. We have this ministry. We have this ministry. I need you to know something. We all greet visitors the same way. We all use the same type of PowerPoints. We all get kids involved with this. This denominational split confuses me, but we have north side, south side. We have... That's wonderful. We sing the same songs. That's not the hope of the world. They want to see what we're going to do when we go to the cafeteria. Oh, we don't have those anymore. When we go to the restaurant, and if you're going to tip them, if when you're there and your food doesn't come on time, are you going to be nicer than the people who didn't go to church? So you know this because this has been part of your DNA as a church, and this is what I heard your pastor say and your elders is like, we live among, but now it's time to not just help, but it's time to speak up. I'm going to tell you a hard truth. I knew the, uh, and I'm not talking about one event. Let's just say um, there's a huge Church of Christ event, and the marshal of the town where that event is held, it was a long time a preacher's kid and a friend of mine said he would rather have the biker gangs in town than the Church of Christ group. And I'm like, are you kidding me? He goes, yeah, the biker gangs, they behave themselves, they tip well, and the town loves them. But when the Church of Christ folks show up, they steal all the toilet paper from the bathrooms, and they don't tip well, and they're very demanding. I don't want that. Maybe the biker gang has something on us. They know we're counting. So sharing Jesus, look at these verses again. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they may accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Among the pagans, there are times in my ministry with the world, I would much rather be with you guys. But then there's other times I would much not rather be with us because I am drawn to those people who are either cynical, who don't understand, and you could be Jesus in a dark world. A little bit of light causes a lot of friction, but it sure is an adventure. And some of you know that. That's why you do missions and stuff even in America. And there are times where I'm like, okay, I'm going to be among the pagans and, and I hear things and their music choices and their life, everything's all different. I get in my car and I just throw some worship music on going, oh, please don't let me say that word out loud. Oh, because out of the heart, the mouth speaks. But yet here's what Peter says in a culture that's very much like ours. We're to be different among them. Because everybody knows we're at church today, right? 
but what will it be like tomorrow when we go to work in school? First Peter 3, but in your hearts revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope. We're going to go there in just a second. That you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. I knew and we had track racks for every biblical question known to Ben. Don't dance, don't drink, don't smoke, and please don't slow dance because if you do, you'll raise hands in church. I mean, we have all these things and I love them. I had reasons where if people of the book, there's nothing wrong with that when we start to journey with what does righteousness mean. But the world, that's not the hope. Again, going to Jerebekah's prayer, you have everything that you need. The hope is when people are like, what's so different about you guys? Why, why do you act this way? Why, why is your language different? Why is your lifestyle different? Why, why do you give this time on Sunday and Wednesday? Why do you give to your various groups, south side, north side? Why do you serve? Why do you care so much about prisoners? Why do you care so much? Because of the hope you have, and the hope is a person, not a program. It's Jesus Christ. And once you've been transformed, and once you understand that a sinner like me who was blind and is now seeing because of Christ, it just comes out. Amen? When you're in a hospital and you're, you're facing some kind of crisis and death occurs and there's this quiet, gentle, let's all gather and pray. Do you know how that confuses doctors and nurses when there's not a crazy outburst? Do you realize when there is a crazy outburst and then all of a sudden these people show up and we bring everybody together and we hold each other and we let them scream and cry and yell. But the last thing we do is we turn all that screaming and crying and yelling. We go, God, Why? but we'll still honor you and we're your people and we love you. Do you know how confusing that is to the outside world? That's the hope. It's because of what Jesus has done for us. Mark says this, when Jesus had landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. Wow, that word compassion. Jesus just heard that John the Baptist had been beheaded, and he knew it was because of his rising ministry. He gets in a boat, and he sits there, and he, does, he just wants to be alone, and he gets on the other side, and here's all these people. And he had such compassion that he gathered that extra strength. He preached to them, and then, I don't know if you noticed, before the big walking on the water, he just went by himself for a while. He was tired, but he would stop even in that tiredness because he had compassion. And my question is, when is the last time when we're walking in the world that we looked at somebody we served and got in the car and wept? Always. And you do this. And if you're a visitor, this church is truly unique. And you put your toe in the water and walk in discipleship with them. But we always... And we first stand with and live among the lost, hurting and marginalized. Do you realize when the church faced one of its biggest crises, one of the things that made it grow after the persecutions and the plague came, when everybody was leaving, the first hospitals were started by believers in Christ who ran into the cities and took care of those dying. That's who we are. That's in our DNA. We run towards and we stand with the marginalized just like this church does. 
But as Jesus would say, as you go, and maybe there's persecution that happens, that this next thing, always all good behavior find its origin in Christ Jesus. And he would say, as you go, as you go, as you go, and as they kick you out, as they persecute, always, always, as together community, just share the gospel that something has changed and we can have transformation in Jesus Christ. And it's not because of us, it's because of a God who came near. Amen? And always, hear this church, authenticity is the key. When you live among people, they know if you're involved with Christian voyeurism and you're just kind of doing your deal and you're like, hey, look at me, put a can in a box. They give some peanut butter to someone, and then you never talk to them again when you see them in Walmart. They know that, don't you? You know the authenticity that I'm talking about. They know, and they, don't expe- they expect us to give, but they don't expect us to go, hey, what's your name? I learned this from a homeless guy when I was in Fort Worth, because everybody goes down there and gives socks, and they give coffee, usually around Christmas time, and big churches feel good about themselves. We stopped doing that. Because they trade the socks for other things and buy drugs. That was one reason. But a lot of the things that was changed, there was a ministry in downtown Lancaster and Fort Worth, and we would go with our students and give them two burritos. And as the gates opened, say, you have a burrito, go find somebody and share a burrito with them and just sit down and talk with them. Those people started coming to the hills. And, you know, you go to a place like Lancaster, that's where they go to get your identity. Here's where you can go and get your food. Here's where they have everything they need. The difference is, is when the people of God show up with this, we continue to show up and we know their name. We want it to be among us and they find a place among us. And do you realize how weird the world is? Because the haves and the have-nots don't always hang out in the same places. This is a place where I think we all do that. Amen. And that feels good to be in a place like this. They look for authenticity because they're trying to see if we really mean what we say. We used to sing a song in youth group called Break My Heart for What Breaks Yours. Do you remember that? Everything I am for your kingdom, Lord. Man, I pray that our hearts are broken because until they are, we'll never share Jesus with the world. We'll share Jesus with our grandkids. We'll share Jesus with our great-grandkids. And as long as they're here and my family's around me, that's fine. But what about those who aren't second or third generation people? What about those who are from the phrase family that just needed someone to come and say, hey, can you help us out? I'm going to ask the shepherds to take their place and the praise team to come up. And I want to show you this picture of peanut butter and jelly. I'm going to give you a challenge today. Then we'll have a time of invitation if you want to visit with one of these shepherds. Maybe today's the day that you want to give your life to Jesus. Talk to one of these shepherds, please. We'll shut everything down. I'm pretty sure the water's warm. Is it warm, Doyle? It is warm. I think about my life for many years. Um, I was nourished by the church. I, I have a peanut butter type sandwich. Every day you can eat a peanut butter sandwich and you can get nourishment, right? But what I'm showing you up there right now makes you forget about the message and say, can we please dismiss for lunch? When you take a cold milk, and I'm going to just go vitamin D. Let's go all in, right? None of this 1% water. But I mean, we're talking real milk. And you add a little bit of jelly on that sandwich. Mmm, now we're cooking. I mean, the peanut butter was fine. 
But when you add the jelly, something happens. I'm going to ask you to add some jelly this week. Years ago, I was sitting down with the guys. It's Pat Combs. He pitched for the Phillies way. I think it was the team. I'm not a baseball guy. And we were working with FCA, and we're sitting there in a coffee shop. And this guy had done everything that most of us have done our whole lives. He was a believer. Everything he did in his professional career, in his, in his athletic career. I mean, he was always like, I mean, he, he's a professional athlete. He makes his bed, reads his Bible, goes to small groups. He's serving. He's doing everything that we've talked about. And everything, even sharing. I mean, this is part of his life. And he just felt like he was just blah. And that's what I call a peanut butter sandwich. And as we were having coffee, he looked at me and he said, I was talking to my mentor and he, he, my mentor said this, are you abiding? You know, Jesus said, if you abide in me and this, you're going to have great fruit. So are you abiding? And he goes, yeah, I do Bible studies. I do all this stuff, yada, yada, yada. And he goes, no, 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 no. What do you do, Pat? When you feel inside, I got to call that person. I got to text that person. I should turn around probably and go and see that person. He goes, well, I usually put it in my day timer. And he goes, what happens? It never gets done. He goes, what if the Holy Spirit of God is trying to lead you like it shows all over the Bible for divine appointment, like Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch? Maybe that name is in your mind because you're supposed to call them because they've been praying for an answer. And then he stopped me. He goes, I'm not charismatic. I mean, he is conservative as they come. I'm like, okay, I get it. So years ago, I started doing that, and I'm absolutely amazed. When a name pops up, and I'm like, how are you doing? And quite often, they'll say, how did you know? And a lot of those conversations have turned into Jesus conversations, have turned into conversations um, with ex-athletes, like last week where he just showed up, and he goes, I'm trying to seek Jesus. I don't feel it yet. And I'm sitting there going, that's odd. But it's not odd at all. It's, a, it's peanut butter and jelly, folks. Our God still does things. Our God still moves. The Holy Spirit that we've been given through our acceptance of him as our Lord, guess what? It still moves. And so here's the challenge this week is that you respond to the prompting. Because evangelism is not a program, it's a person. And guess what? It's not a program of the church, it's you. You are the commercial. So if you feel something, just try it out. It may be, I don't know, it's just like, you know, but if you feel like you need to send a letter, if you feel like you need to send a text, an Insta, if you need to do a snap, if you need to call somebody, that's a thing that we actually push the buttons, teenagers, just respond to it. And let's see what happens. Because years ago, someone responded. That preacher, this is an amazing story that happened last fall. I was in uh, the Sherman area preaching at a church. And I told that story. And afterwards, this lady who's probably 80 years old is just crying coming up. And she said, where was that? And I said, Louisville. And she looked at me. She said, that was my daddy. My daddy would would write down names of people and he kept this little note, you know, notepad. And he's the one that went to 1162 Pebble Brook and said, Henry and Lana, your daughter says this, do you want to come to church? Do you want to come hang out with us? And they did. I'm telling you, I'm standing up here because somebody responded to the prompting from a five-year-old. What happens if we as a church Instead of waiting for a program to give our money and time to, what if we just simply respond at work, at school, or in the moment?
and see if God has a divine appointment for us. Let's stand together and sing.